Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Special technique of shadow boxing. Yo, 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 what's up, what's up, what's good, everybody? This is the August 16, 2020 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, James Bell, the lead boxing analyst here for the Cohort Truth on Sports and the leader of the Boxing Source on social media. You can follow us on uh, Instagram through the Boxing Source. You can follow us on Twitter at Boxing Source 2. Uh, we also have a page on Facebook, The Boxing Source, and we are simulcast on YouTube through the Boxing Source YouTube channel. Uh, you can uh, join in the Boxing Talk by calling 347-237-5539. That is 347-237-5539. Press one key to get on cue will be able to talk live on the show. I'm trying to get through as much as possible within the 60-minute time frame, uh, as we do have a podcastable header. Uh, we have uh, this, uh, you know, on the regular schedule here, Sunday, 7.30 uh, p.m. Eastern Time, and we will be back on at 11 p.m. Eastern Time with a special guest. So um want to get as much done as possible uh, here within this particular podcast. So, want to get uh, through everything uh, that has happened over the past couple of days. Um, we had, like, a lot of action, you know, on, uh, I think it was, what, Friday and Saturday. Uh, of course, Saturday, um, you know, we had uh, one upset that, you know, did take place. Um, you also was talking about, you know, some something that happened on Wednesday uh, that was a, you know, fairly a uh, upset of sorts. Uh, they might, you know, touch on that here in a bit. But um, we had uh, two, pretty much like two fight cards that uh, were on around the same time. Um, so wanted to get into those. Uh, you had, you know, the fight card that was at Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you had the fight card that was at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut. Um, you know, headlined by, yeah, Cecilia Brinkus versus Jessica McCaskill in Tulsa. And you had David Benavidez against former Alexis Angulo over in Uncasville, Connecticut. Um, so you also had that. Plus, um, you know, earlier in the day, uh, so to speak, you had um, Carl Frampton in action and also uh, Iris McConnell. So uh, that was... Um, you know, part of the action that happened on Saturday. Um, so I wanted to get into it. Um, actually, I'll go first with, you know, what happened over at your call in Bethnal Green. As you had, you know, Irish McConnell, uh there, uh, he was, you know, fighting 
uh, is the co-feature bout uh, there, and he you know, wanted to uh, do something in the uh, 126-pound division. Uh, he, you know, at the time was the uh, number one contender for the WBO Featherweight Championship. Um, and that, you know, he was kind of like lining up, or at least I felt that he was lining himself up to, you know, be in the running to fight for the WBO Featherweight Championship considering that the fighter that held the championship, Shakur Stevenson, moved up to super featherweight. It's fairly interesting. As the second consecutive uh, fighter to hold the WBO featherweight title to move up. Previous guys, Oscar Valdez, uh, moving up uh, to super featherweight, and he will eventually face um, the WBC Super Featherweight Champion Miguel Burchell. So we have that. Now Shakur Stevenson is moving up to uh, Super Featherweight. We're going to see what's going to happen with Shakur Stevenson there at 130 pounds. But with Conlon, Mick Conlon isn't staying at 126. And he's not moving up. He's moving down to 122, uh, which I thought was um, a little bit of a surprise, but given that a world champion that was at 122 is moving up to 126, kind of find that interesting there. But he said before this particular fight against Sofian Takuch that uh, he was, you know, fairly comfortable being at or uh, going down to 122 or making that 122-pound weight limit. So he'll have, he has his fight here against Sofian Tekus, who, you know, had his last fight against uh, Warrington, Josh Warrington, who is the IBF champion at featherweight. Um, and, you know, that was a, you know, loss for Tekus. Um, and that was, you know, by second-round stoppage. Um, but he you know, was going up here against Michael Conlon. Michael Conlon wanted to, you know, have an impressive showing uh, with this uh, particular um, fight and that he wanted to, um, you know, show that he could, you know, do do things there against Sofian Takutu. It was a veteran there with uh, 35 wins, four losses, and one draw. Um, but, you know, Conlon had – I would say somewhat of a slow start. Uh, then, you know, tried to, you know, work the body a little bit of Takuch and uh, was successful with that body work. Uh, but, you know, in the fourth round, he uh, got there, you know, in the uh, trunks of Sofian Takuch then uh, was deducted a point for a low blow in the fourth round. So, he was, you know, building up momentum, had a good lead there, you know, within that fourth round, uh, but then had that point deducted for a low blow. Then in the fifth round, same thing happened again. Uh, he was, you know, having some momentum, um, hitting, uh, you know, to Coos in trouble, and I got halted again for a low blow. And another point was taken from you know, uh, McCommon. And I think that kind of halted his momentum to try to 
finished off Sofian Takuch earlier in the fight instead of it, you know, being uh, done in the 10th round, which is what eventually happened. Uh, he, you know, ended up getting the stoppage victory with a combination um, thrown to Takuch on the ropes. Uh, referee Steve Gray stepped in to stop the bout for Mick Conlon to score the TKO victory. He is now 14-0. And like I said, he's going to move down to 122 pounds. Um, and, and and like I said, I mean, it, it, I, I felt that when, once, I, once I, you know, got the news of that, I think it was, what, Thursday and whatnot, I was like, hmm, why would he go down to 122? Um, and, 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 and that's, you know, interesting there because if you look at 122 uh, there, right, um, you had the thing um, with, uh, you know, Angelo Leo, um, you know, who you know, had the win uh, recently, is uh, eventually going to fight Stephen Fulton. And now McConlin is the entry as um, the fighter that's below, uh, therefore, that WBO Super Bantamweight title with the former Super Bantamweight champion, WBO Super Bantamweight champ, Manuel Navarrete, moving up to 126. And he could be put in a position to fight Jesse Magdaleno uh, for that vacant WBO title. So, uh, I think that's that's something there that's going to be uh, interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, I think I have um, someone here that wants to join in the boxing talk from the 267 area code. Uh, here you're on the Boxing Source radio show. What's good? What's good, man? Thanks for having me on. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, man, I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling. Um, uh, I don't know if you caught the uh, fight fights that were on uh, ESPN early on Saturday with um, – you know, Mick Conlon going up against Sofian Takush, and uh, you had the thing with Carl Frampton uh, going up against Darren Trainer. Uh, but I was talking about the thing with Mick Conlon and his situation on why would he, you know, move down to 122 when he was uh, in line to fight for a world title at 126? Right, so first, first, I didn't watch the cards because I actually value my time. <laughs> I actually value my time So no I didn't watch those cards But um, I think that was Bob And I'll tell you why Because who's at 126? Jesse Magdaleno? That's right Bob probably wants a guy in each class With a belt With 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 the, the, the World Bob Organization belt WBO yeah, the World Bob Organization belt. Yeah, or what Bob orders, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but, um, yeah, what Bob orders. That's 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 it. What Bob orders? WBO. What Bob orders? Yep, that's it. So, that's probably the case. Uh, Mick Conlon isn't special. He was very hyped out of the, uh, the amateurs. He's not special. Mm-hmm. And every time I watch him fight, I'm just underwhelmed, like every time. I cannot yeah. say there's been one time where Mick Conlon has impressed me. Yep, and, and <laughs> you know, the thing is with um, you know, what happened in the previous fight he had against Redmond, it didn't 
uh, where mm-hmm. he pretty much got like a shutout, shutout decision from you know one judge and a near shutout from another judge, where you know a lot of people thought that it was much closer. That was uh, you know crazy right there. But yeah, I, I've never really been impressed with uh, Colin, Colin either. Um, who, who do you want to see Conlon fight next? Uh, he said he's going down to 122, so, man, uh, maybe Tremaine Williams. I don't know. Cause the thing about it is you already have, um, you know, Leo against Cool Boy that's going to fight for the big control. So Yeah, they're fighting next. So Conlon has to fight like a, you know, it's Main Williams or or Carlos Castro because um, either that or see what happens with Roman because Roman is uh, scratched from that PVC card, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I I guess they could you know find someone uh, there around that you know around that level for Conlon to you know fight because you you I don't see like you know how you know, what bar borders um, will have, you know, the, these guys here in position to, like, fight for these world titles. But, like, who 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 is he going to, you know, who is he going to be positioned against there at Super Bantamweight, you know? Um, who is it, like a, yeah, like a Carlos Castro. Um, I got to, do you think they set him up to fight in a week in the future? Ooh no! I hope not. That would yo. He would get washed. I'm sorry. He would get washed. Like I, I don't see it. Cause I don't know what Inaway is gonna do. Actually, I think Inaway, Inaway is. Uh, I think Inaway should stay at 118 for a little bit more, and see if he can get that Casemiro fight later on. You know, cause um. He really got tagged a bit by Nonito Donaire uh, last year. So, uh, he's, uh, he ain't looking like uh, the, the buzzsaw that he used to look like, you know. So, I don't know if uh, Inoue would want to move up to 122 if he's getting tagged like he did against, uh, you know, Nonito Donaire. Yeah. But yeah, the thing with Conlon, man, I, I yeah, I don't see I don't see much in him either. You know, I don't see like how he could, you know, be much of a world title type of guy in at one twenty two or one twenty six. I think that if if um if Navarrete didn't move up and he was set up to fight Jesse Magdaleno, he might have had a shot. But with Navarrete moving up, that pretty much like screwed up everything for Mick Conlon because he it, it just seemed like everything was put in place for him to get that 126 belt with Shakur Stevenson moving up. But when they said Navarrete's moving up, I was like, oh man, this ain't good. <laughs> this ain't good for Mick Conlon here, man. So he's like, you know what? I'm gonna try to go down to 122, and I, I just don't, yeah, I just don't see where he could do something at 122. I like to see, yeah, I would like to see that Carlos Castro fight. That would that would show where he really is, 
if he's, you know, there to fight for a world title there. So him against Carlos Castro. You know where he is. You know where he <laughs> is, yo. He's not elite. <laughs> yeah, he's not elite. On, yeah, I know that. <laughs> he ain't, yeah, he, he, on, ain't nowhere, he, he ain't nowhere near elite. And, um, and you know, you had the whole thing there with uh, Paul Frampton fighting Darren Trainer and Trainer. <laughs> yo, yo, he said. What, a, what about him versus um, Abdullah? Abdullah or uh, Akhmedalev? Yeah, Abdullah. Yeah. However, you Russian pronounce that. Russian Akhmedalev with the name. Yeah. What about oh, him against him? And what's one? Ahmed Dalia would nah. He he. Ahmed would beat him up. He would beat him up, man. It wouldn't be good. They were in the Ooh. amateurs at the same time, right? I think so. Yeah, Ahmed would. Yeah, he would. Uh, he would. He would. He would work him. He would definitely work him, man. Um. And you had the thing there with uh, Frampton against Trainer, where Trainer just said, "Fuck it," after getting too many hit <laughs> too much with body shots. And I'm like, Carl Frampton said, "Oh, I don't understand uh, the thing with um, Jamel Herring. Uh, Jamel Herring seems like he struggles to cut down to 130. Uh, I don't see it, man. I mean, he's you know he's a tall guy, tall rangy guy, but." Uh, I think he struggles to make weight. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so how about you First fight him and find out? Yeah, exactly. And Bob Aaron, Bob Aaron was like, oh, well, we're going to have this fight. First, we're going to see a Carl Frampton get through this guy. And then you're going to have Jamel Herring. He's going to fight in September. And once that happens, and both of those guys win. We're going to set up the fight that happened in November. It's signed and sealed. We just got to have both of those guys win, and it'll be in November. I was like, all right, cool. Finally, finally there, uh, Bob Aram. At least you're going to have this fight happen. But, like I said, I, man, <laughs> it was like um, it was like uh, the, the, the president of the Deontay Wilder fan club said, if, if Carl Frampton looks like what he looked like, uh, Yesterday against uh, Jamel Herring, he's gonna get stopped. He will yeah. get stopped, you know, because yes, he, he all he was doing was he was get, going up against a guy that had you know no jab, nothing, you know, no activity, no punch activity. Like he'll get <laughs> he'll get torn up by uh, Jamel Herring if uh, he does tries to do the same thing there. Because he he's not going to be very active with the jab against someone of uh, Herring's caliber, man. So I think that's going to be, you know, pretty much a blowout, man. Um. So next up, man, I wanted to. Well, since you're on here, man, I want to get into the get into the fight where we pretty much call what was going to happen, and it happened. I was like, oh, about my baby Castilla. The Castilla. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> got the win. She was there. She was fighting. She was taking the fight to Brecus and got the decision win. 
90, it was score of 95-95, and then 97-94, and 97-93. And she hands breakers her first loss of her professional career. And now McCaskill is the undisputed welterweight champion. I was like, yeah, boy. But I was laughing my ass off. And the reason why I was laughing my ass off was because, yet again, you have somebody who has Fable Sanchez as their trainer, and they use Fable Sanchez, and they end up losing a big fight again. Doing the same thing that Fable Sanchez teaches his fighters. And I'm like, come on, Brett That is not how you fight Jessica McCaskill. That is exactly what she wanted. Perfectly set up. And and I watched the uh and I watched that post fight uh the post fight comments from Cecilia Brekus and I'm looking at her and I'm like <laughs> She looking busted up like Kanani Golovkin looked in that Canelo fight. Canelo fight. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I was like, oh, no, man. But I, I said it, man. I was like, you got you got Fable Sanchez, and you saw what happened with Marat Gatsayev against Alexander Usyk. He got his ass shut out. No adjustments, nothing. Then Gennady Golovkin beat up by Canelo because Canelo was uh, supposed to do some Mexican style and then he mixed it up with boxing and and Gennady Golovkin got busted up. And now you have Cecilia Breakers doing the same thing at the beginning of the fight. And I'm like, why are you doing that when you are the taller fighter and have the range? You can use a jab. And no, you wanted to stand there and scrap with Jessica McCaskill. Big mistake. First, McCaskill is like the Clark Kent of boxing. How she fights and how she is in real life, two completely different people. Like, she transforms, bro. Yep. And Katie Taylor, undisputed at 135. Yeah, lightweight, uh, lightweight undisputed champ. Is she holding another belt in another weight class? Uh, she, I thought she did, but because I know that, um, yeah, she did. She she won the super lightweight, the WBO super lightweight title. I'm saying, is she still holding them? Oh, I don't know if she's still actively holding that super lightweight title. But because the I've undisputed life championship is on the line. I've never week. seen anybody, Jr. The unified champ in one weight class and the undisputed champ in another simultaneously. That is yep, some like legendary shit. I've never yeah. seen. Yeah, I've never seen it happen. In in eleven fights. Yep, eleven with no amateur background. An investment baker. Bro, she's my favorite fighter. 
<laughs> hey, man, I'm telling you, go all out. I'm saying she went all out from round one to round ten. And I was like, man. But, yo, I said this last night. This was the funniest thing, man. Sable Sanchez screws up again, <laughs> right? So, okay. I'm 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 thinking the fight is close and everything like that. You know, eighth to ninth round, you had Reiku. She was using the jab a little bit more and whatnot. End of the ninth round, she goes to the corner. It's the tenth round, right? And Fable Sanchez gives her some, you know, some pointers or whatnot. And and then he says. Which round is it? Is it the eighth round? Is it the ninth round? I was like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, yo. It was, it, it was like he was, yo, yo, you can tell. You can tell. He, he JR, don't tell me that. Don't tell me. Don't, don't tell me that, <laughs> yo, Yo, this guy, don't tell this, me. This, don't yo, tell me that. Jimmy. I will. I will find the replay, and I'm telling you, no. it will look like no. he. Yes, he did say that. I'm telling you. I, I wish I could be like Booker T and say he didn't say that. Tell me he did not just say that, but he did. He did. I was like, oh my goodness, man. Like. And, and and the worst part and the worst part is right. Reku has been with has been with Sanchez since January. Mm-hmm. She never left California when the original fight date was scrapped. She was still training in Big Bear, and you even tell me. Through all that time that Sanchez didn't know what, how the rounds go, come on. Yo, that was, uh, yo, he got to be, yo, he got to be fired from every, every training opportunity ever after that. I'm sorry. Like, you, I mean, that was just bad. Yo, and he's old. He was overrated from the rip, right? Yep. He, he was an overrated trainer from the rip. And um, not having Triple G showed his true colors. And now, like, I haven't heard from him. Well, he's dropped, he's literally dropped off the face of earth. You, I didn't even know, I forgot he had, he was training Cecilia Brackett. Why would you switch trainers? Yep, that's why. At this point in your career, why why would you switch training? And when when I found out, when I found that out, I was like, I knew, I knew that McCaskill was going to win this fight. I I just knew it. Because if there's anything that (laughs) Fable Sanchez is bad at is (laughs) being in the corner of fighters in big fights. He makes zero adjustments for his fighters. It's like he doesn't see what's going on in any circumstance. It's like, oh, 
you know, just keep doing the same thing around one, two, three, four, five, and we're eventually going to stop the, the opponent or we're going to get the decision win. Nah, mm-mm. Like, you getting out boxed, see, you got to do something else. You can't just do the same thing. That's just, oh, boy. I, I just uh, I just don't understand it, man. I don't understand it. But, um, yeah, like, you're going to have McCaskill, man. She's going to be waiting for that winner of uh, Katie Taylor against um, Delphine Personal. And I feel like Taylor's gonna do do much better in this fight than she did on uh last June first against uh personal. So uh you're well, gonna yeah, have with that first fight. Yeah. Well the thing I mean, she I don't know what she was doing the second half of that fight. I, I just don't understand that. But like yeah, she's gonna have to do much better in this one because um she don't want to like a rematch between McCaskill and, and Taylor. That'll be man. That's gonna be the fight right there, man. That is gonna be the fight. So I'm like, <clears throat> Taylor got Katie Taylor got to come through here in the in the uh, uh, what did um what did uh, what did Luda Bella call that place? <laughs> Oh, jeez. So you said the mushroom plantation or whatever it was? Oh, yeah, yeah, the plantation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, that's that's going to be, you know, a big fight uh, there uh, next Saturday, Wait, 22nd. Where do you rank Jessica now, pound for pound, women? She got to be there within the top two. I they mean, both she... said, oh, I'm like, She's in top two in my book. Yeah, she's top, top two. Top two, top three. I mean, she, like, she was unsuccessful in initially getting the lightweight championship. But the next fight, mm-hmm. she moves up, and she gets one super lightweight title. Then the next fight after that, she unifies, then defends it, and now is the welterweight, undisputed welterweight champion. So she has been in three divisions, and she got titles in two of them, and she's the undisputed welterweight champion. Like, got to be top two. Got to be. You know, so I and, – and, and I know I know this – I know one other person would not like this, but I would kind of put – almost there in consideration to be above uh, you know who, but that's a whole nother story. To me, beating Cecilia Brackett, she has the best win out of all of them. And you can say Katie Taylor has the second best win because she beat Jessica, who has the best win. Yeah. Yep, and 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 you know that's the thing on it is like, you know she's she's there, and, and I was gonna see um what they would kind of like put uh, there for uh, pound for pound, 
from the point system, shoot, even in the point system, they don't have McCaskill. They're in the top two. She, she's at five. I was like, what? I'm like, come on. But, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would just, uh, I would go ahead and, and put her among the top two. Uh, there four pound for pound, and you would have her against Katie Taylor uh, next year. That's gonna be, yeah, that's gonna be the fight. You know, four four women's boxing though. Um, mm. one one of the other things that they were kind of like talking about in the lead up to the fight and during the fight is the whole thing about them um, kind of upgrading. Uh, to, you know, either 12 rounds or three minute rounds. Um, mm. What's your thoughts about that? It should have been. They're, they're, they're fighters. This is boxing. In, in um, men's basketball and women's basketball, the rim's still 10 feet. The dimensions of the court are still the same. Dimensions still the same. Uh, the quarters are still the same width. You know, I think that the first thing that you said, though, is key. Because they know what they signed up for. They know the dangers of the sport. So if they know all about it, then that's, you know, why not have it like that? But if they could do that, will they get paid pretty much around the same? That's where, you know, I kind of, yo, I'm I'm not sure about that. You know what I mean? Because it's like you you have like a specific price point for, you know, a fight card that had, you know, with a main event headlined by like a, like I said, Errol Spence or, you know, Somebody like a uh, Jamal Charlo or Jamal Charlo, which which would be different than uh you know like a Clarissa Shields or uh Katie Taylor or you know something like that. So are you are people going to pay the same price for a ticket to see a Katie Taylor main event, or you know, or are they going to say you know what, uh, paying. Five hundred, five hundred to a thousand dollars for, you know, a, a, a ringside seat plus for a Katie Taylor main event, and there isn't really that much competition out there for for that. I don't know if people will be inclined to do that. You know, it, it'd be tougher to sell out an arena if those prices go up for a Katie Taylor main event if you're gonna try to pay her that much money. You know, someone's going to lose one way or the other. They're going to lose out. So I don't know, like, how that how that's going to work out for, you know, women's boxing if they, you know, want to go ahead and get paid more. But if they, if they get paid more, then that turns, turns on the promoters. And the promoters will say, okay, you don't want to get paid more? I'm going to have to up the price for the tickets. If they up the price for the tickets, they're not going to get that many people attending that they want in order to make money off of it. So how long would that last? Not very long, I don't think. 
you know. So, um, so getting on the other uh, fight cards, that was at Uncasco, Connecticut, man. David Benavidez against Alexis Angulo. Target practice, mm-hmm. man. That was target practice. First, like Angulo didn't do much at all in that in, in that fight to me. It was just first. for Benavidez to kind of like, you know, walk in there. Oh, I I came in overweight. I don't care. Blue blue blue. I threw my combinations. I can still do that. Blue blue blue. You know. It was it was a tune. It was a tune up. Man. Yeah, it's like a tune up. So you saw you saw that like, kid against uh, Austin Williams. He's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's like, uh, <laughs> so this was like not much of a fight at all. And, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that Anthony Sims fight, you know, shoot. Some could say that Sims could have probably had the nod in that one. So, hmm. but, you know, you had that, and then him going up against Benavidez, that's a huge step up. So, Benavidez showed like he was a couple classes better uh, there than Angulo. So Angulo just looked like he was just coming in there to just throw one punch, and that's it. Throw one punch. See if he gets something that hurts hurts uh, Benavidez. And some of the punches just didn't hurt Benavidez <laughs> either way. So I was like, well, might as well forget about that, you know. At, uh, at, the, end of the, at the end of the day, Benavidez is an elite. Well, I'm not gonna say lead. very good talent, right? Yeah. But with with very poor discipline, and when he starts fighting the upper echelon dudes that's at the top, that's not 35, like Anthony Durrell, you're you you will start to see the holes because he's undisciplined, unprofessional. Like you come in there, you come in there overweight, or um. Or lacking proper training, a poor camp yeah. against dudes like Billy Joe, Canelo, um, Caleb Plant, um, what's the other one? Colum Smith. Colum hey, Smith, yep. And you, he's going to lose. If he thinks he can just bullshit in camp, snort some lines, and thinking his natural ability is going to get him over. He's got another thing coming. But, Jr. I want you to want to thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. But I got to go. Yep. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, Ed Jamil, for calling me in there. Um, so, had a thing um, there, like at the Menavides, uh, Romero, Alexis, Angulo, with, uh, you know, Angulo, you know, getting stopped there in 10 rounds. But, you know, like – uh, Jamil said uh, there, you have David Benavidez that, you know, doesn't have the WBC super middleweight title. This is the second time that he's lost it. First time we know about the whole thing with cocaine use. Second time he comes into the fight at a weight over the super middleweight limit of 168 pounds. He comes in at 173 fourths and couldn't cut the weight. So it's like, well, now that WBC super middleweight title is vacant, and 
now it's like who knows what else is out, what is going to be out there uh, for Benavidez to do. Uh, will he stay there at super middleweight? Yes, highly likely because that is where he is able to have the most lucrative. Um, you have, you know, like I said, you have Caleb Plant that's the IBF champion there. You have Canelo, uh, who is a has one version of the super middleweight championship. You have Callum Smith, who is the super champion for the WBA. You have Billy Joe Saunders that does hold the WBO title. You have also Daniel Jacobs that's there at super middleweight. Uh, you know, um, David Lemieux that's out there um, as, you know, someone that's random. Peter Chudinov, um, William Monroe, your previous guest of the show, William Monroe, uh, is there at super middleweight. So um, that's kind of, uh, you know, what we have as far as, like, what's there in that super middleweight division. So, um, so I kind of, like, feel like uh, that – that's going to be something where we have to see what happens with um, David Benavidez because this just shows the second instance where he's undisciplined. They said, oh, oh, we didn't have the proper tools for us to cut weight, uh, so that's why we came in at 170 and three-fourths pounds. No, nah, that can't be. No, nah, because you know you, you had a fight, so you knew the timing that you needed to do, you know the schedule of what you need to do in order to cut the weight in order to get to 168 pounds. So having that as your explanation just doesn't work. Uh, got someone in here from the 205 area code. You are on the Boston Source radio show. What's good? What's going on, James? What's going on, everybody? Uh, Mike Grady calling out of Atlanta. Uh, haven't been on a couple weeks, and I uh, see y'all talking about the David Benavidez fight. So I'll uh, just yep. chime in. Yep, yep. How yeah, you been, man? Uh, oh man, I've been all good, man. Uh, you know, just uh, had lots of action there uh, yesterday. Uh, and you know, we talking about this thing here with David Benavidez. He got that savage victory over uh, rumor Alexis Angulo, but he's not the champ anymore, man. So I don't know what's up with this dude, man. He he got the talent. He, he 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 seems like he has all the tools. He has the you know he has the youth youth with him, and he's only twenty three. So I'm like, you know, why is he just having these you know mistakes here? Um, where this is the second time that he loses the WBC uh, super middleweight title, and he didn't lose. So it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, so. When you say that, like I was gonna say my statement, I was gonna say my blanket statement that I have for 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 dang any boxer, but twenty three years old is the number that we need to look at. And twenty three years old, while he comes across as a quasi mature twenty three year older, in the grand scheme of things, you gotta gotta you gotta call this you gotta say it is toward his maturity, man. Because there should be no boxer who fights, and like you said, 168, and he's over by two, three pounds. There should be no boxer in this fight game who does not have a nutritionist. If you're not in the heavyweight division, if you're not in the heavyweight division, you should not be in the boxing game without a nutritionist, like especially during COVID. Like you should be eating 
you know, your body is temple, like whatever. Like even if your body ain't a temple, you should not be caught without without not having a nutritionist. Like that is no excuse to whatever. And so his body looked like he was it, it didn't look chubby, but it looked very right. it looked like like he didn't do no shit ups. It didn't look like he ran right. much. The the right. man got all the skill in the world. He he probably has the fastest hands in one sixty eight. Like maybe uh Caleb Plant. Maybe Caleb Plant maybe got can can compete with him with them hands. Um with hand speed, but this man got some pretty fast hands and he is twenty three years old. Very youthful. Like he can take punishment because of him because of him being twenty three years old. He got all the skill in the world. When he does use his jab, I, I don't see many people messing with him when he does use his jab and he set everything up off the jab. Like mm-hmm. the fight yesterday was so much easier. The only thing I don't like for him is when he just sit there and do the Muhammad Ali sitting on the ropes just to kind of like, you know, let the dude get a couple shots off so he can get in between. But even in between right. that, when he was doing that type of stuff, he would demand like six, what, six one or something. And yeah, he would do that, hold his hands up, slip and throw a real short shot. With him being like maybe three inches away from the dude, like the man got all the skill in the world, and when he jabs, I think he almost unbeatable at 168. When he jabs, when he set everything up off the jab, because you can't get to him unless you're his same height. It's just tough to get to him. It is no excuse for him to lose his title off 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 the dang off his weight. Get a nutritionist. Like, I don't know how much money he's making now, but come on, man. Like, are you kidding me? You are too – you matter too much to the sport and can be one of the better ones at 168 for you to be losing your title. Okay, maybe it might – maybe this might mean something good for him. Maybe somebody else fights and they get the belt interimly, and then they now have two belts. And he fights that person mm-hmm. and he gets two belts. So it doesn't mean anything. It's the exact same thing as if he put a belt on the line, they put a belt on the line, and then he won the belt. Maybe that's the route to where somebody else gets the second belt and he fights for two belts, and then now he's up two belts. But why not keep your leverage? Why not keep your belt and make people a bit more enticed to fight you? Because who's going to fight him now? He has no leverage. Who's going to fight him? Why would you fight him? What would be your reason for fighting him? Yeah, I don't. You don't see much of a, you know, um, <clears throat> incentive other than Caleb. I mean, because him and Caleb had that, you know, back and forth rivalry going on. But that's about the only fight that could, you know, really be set up for Menabides that's, you know, uh, that would be beneficial for the opponent. So, I mean, you Caleb have like don't seem like – Caleb does not say – I'm sorry to cut you off, Jay. Caleb don't seem like uh, – uh, uh, Caleb seems like an intelligent man. Off of principle, I am almost pretty sure that Caleb would not fight him, and his reasoning will be, you need to do what you need to do. My reasoning for beating you is because I wanted to beat your ass, but I wanted to beat your ass with something on the line. You need to do what you need to do and make it worth my time. I am not going to fight you, and I am the one giving up all the concessions. I would have fought you for this belt, like, and that is not Caleb ducking nobody. Like, do what you need to do. Why have you not done what you need to do? No, I'm not going to fight you now. Get the belt back, and then I will fight you, and I'll beat your ass. 
Damn. Yeah, because um, hey, what was the because uh, <laughs> this was like what before the fight, like right when the news uh, came down that um, you know that Benavidez didn't make weight. <laughs> Caleb Plant, you uh, said I thought a fat boy who keeps losing his belt but can't get that bitch back said so. I was like, oh, man. He said, I thought a fat boy who keeps losing his belt but can't get that bitch back said something. I was like, oh, man. Like, he, I thought he was rubbing in, but he just said, like, one and done. (laughs) But after that, he said, (laughs) he said, Vincent Figaro's beat this dude's ass. (laughs) He said, what? He said that Vincent Figgenbutts would, would beat this dude's ass. <laughs> oh, I don't know man. Figgenbutts was, was not, wouldn't beat him, but Figgenbutts definitely was sturdy, though. I think Figgenbutts, again, yeah. most people trouble just because he's so sturdy. Like, Yeah, he's yeah, he's a tough, tough dude. He, he can take punches, man. He can definitely take punches. You know, but what's uh, his name? Would he off on picking bus? He would just hit him and hit him and hit him and yep. hit him and hit him. It'd be and, exactly like the Casey Plant fight. And 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 the thing with uh, Benavidez in his fight with uh, Angulo, like he he was still out there. He was using his jab, like you said. He was keeping his distance and everything. But he also tried to do that car thing because all all Roman Angulo had was his, you know, both of his hands up. You know, walking forward with both of his hands up, not even coming forward with a jab or any type of punch, but trying to get up close with both of his hands up. So Benavidez would jab, jab, but he would also, like, paw, paw down with the jab or paw down with his left hand. So when he paws down with his left hand, he could come down with the right. So he was doing that a couple of times, too, against uh, Angulo. But, yo, like I said, like somebody with, you know, any type of uh, defense or – you know, something that could, you know, that would come back at him after he throws his jab. That's more disciplined. They would give, they would give Benavidez a lot of issues because he, I just don't know, man. He he just seems like he. It seems like Benavidez could be what some could consider a complete fighter, but there's some glaring issues that he has that he just continues to make these mistakes. Um, you know, kind of like make him seem like he isn't, you know, all completely there. Like, I mean, we saw the first fight that he had against, um, you know, Ron Gabriel, which was a very good fight <laughs> that they had. Um, and he had to, you know, make the adjustments there. And then in the second fight, he did much better and he really didn't, uh, you know, have uh, Gabriel have much of a shot against him. But, you know, that lack of discipline there was uh, something that, you know, kind of uh, is a takeaway. And, you know, I, uh, you, you did bring up the thing uh, about uh, Benavidez being 23, right? And a couple weeks ago, we had uh, someone else that's a 23-year-old in the super middleweight division, you know, have a win and have his 14 consecutive First round knockout victory, and that's Edgar Berlanga. And when when I you know when I talked with Berlanga after his fight, he was like, "Yo, the reason why like he was doing those push-ups after that fight, after that first round knockout, he was like, well, in the previous fight, 
you know, I didn't use my jab. So they were like, okay, I'm going to use my jab. I'm going to use my jab. And in the fight, I'll use my jab. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I did it. I did it. I used my jab. And then the trainer says, yeah, but you didn't follow through with it with the right hand. So go down and give me 20 push-ups. And he was like, man, shoot. So he he sees that he has some things that he has to improve on every single fight, even though he's getting those first-round knockouts. So he's working on getting himself better every single fight, where here with David Benavidez, it's like he has all the skills, but he feels like since I have all the skills, I don't have to work for nothing. That's what it kind of looks like here with David Benavidez. And you made a great point, James. His lack of discipline is indicative of a deeper problem that will only that well, I'm not gonna say only that will you bet your bottom dollar show up when he get in a test where he has to dig deep and go to a place that he has never been. The same thing that happened with Sergey Kovalev. The same thing that happened with Sergey Kovalev is 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 what we're seeing now. I'm not saying that. I mean, if somebody go to his body, it's you can already tell his one of his Achilles heels is and will be his body. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't recall the fight where he got hit in the body, but if if Caleb Plant go to his body and make a concerted effort that that's a part of his game plan, if in, if an Andre Waters type guy saw him and was like, yeah, you a little soft in the belly, and at one sixty eight said, I'm going for the whole first four 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 or five rounds, go to your body. He. His lack of discipline will show up, and you will see him have to go to a place that he never thought he had to go. And will his wheels stand up and, and allow him to get past and face a test? Or we be like, people talk about Adrian Broner. People talk yeah. about Adrian Broner. But Adrian Broner showed me that even though he got shell-shocked after this, in that um, Maidana fight, Adrian Broner never stopped trying to win that fight. People right. talk about him getting knocked down and getting punched in the mouth. He got humbled, but Adrian Broner gained my respect from that fight because he continued trying to win that fight. That is the Adrian Broner that I thought I was going to see. And 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 he just got shell-shocked. He just got more reclusive. He fought like a champion in a loss in that fight. That is probably one of my – I mean, outside of him getting beat, but he still was trying to win. Like, he had an undefeated streak. And he was like, he had the pride behind himself. Manny Pacquiao, he just like, let me not get knocked out. Uh, versus, right. um, you know, other people, he like, let me not get knocked Mikey out. Garcia. Sean Porter. Mikey Garcia, let me just not get knocked out. Like, um, I just, I just, um, I don't know, man. Benavidez, like you said, talent, hard work beats talent when talent does not work hard. That is what's going to happen with David Benavidez. And he's going to be singing the blues, and, you know, nobody will fight him. Or, or they'll find his Achilles heel, his body, and then that's when everybody fights him because he has a big chink in his armor. Why, mm-hmm. why put yourself in that position? He's 23, and he can learn from it. He can have two or three careers when he gets 30 or when he gets 35. But his skill and his speed only going to get worse. It's not gonna get better. Yep. It's I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, what else can he do? Like, can he, you know, go up to light heavyweight, or you know, like that's basically the only other option that he has is to 
you know, try something that light heavyweight, and you really don't see much about, you know, any openings or opportunities that he could have at light heavyweight, at least right now. Um, they're not going to have him fighting the likes of uh, John Pascal or Battle Jack or anything like that, you know, immediately. And then even with that, that doesn't mean that he'll be put in a position to, you know, fight for a world title at light heavyweight, you know, so soon. So he's going to have to be at super middleweight, you know, for a little bit until, you know, things kind of open themselves up uh, there at 175. So, you know, you do have that. My fear, um, my fear with him going to 175 is he has a, now has a 175 weight limit. Then you'll see him doing the exact same thing. Oh, thing. blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, excuse that's the reason why I weigh 177 pounds. That's the reason why I weigh 178 pounds. Blah, 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 excuse. I weigh 178 pounds. It's, it's not that. I mean, he has a big frame. His back was big, and you can tell him getting down to 168 might be a problem for him. But I swear, if the man ate, ran a little bit more, maybe this is draining him. Maybe this is killing him. But his body does not look like it had 10% fat. It looked like, you know, a lot more. Where Terrell at when you need to need him to tell you somebody percentage of body weight, fat to body weight. <laughs> but um, yeah, 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 you should, yeah, you should, you should be trying to get in here or something like that for it. Um, yeah, but it, it's 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 interesting because Benavidez, you know, even though he's twenty three years old, he's not necessarily a you know a spring chicken of sorts. He's been a pro <laughs> for seven years. Uh, like, this is, I guess, yeah, exactly. Like, almost to the day. Like, his debut is seven years, almost seven years to the day. And I'm like, yikes, man. Like, you like you pretty much were like 16. Well, it's a whole Mexico type thing or whatnot where you could be a pro at like 15 or 14 years old, as long as you can fight Mexico, it's all good. Um, but, like, he's, yeah, he's had a few fights there when he was like 16, 17 years old. And, like, he's no, you know, spring chicken when it comes to, you know, pro game or whatnot. So, he, yeah, it's, this is going to be a lingering problem for him uh, in order for him to stay disciplined and the you know, try to make weight because, like he said, he should have some type of nutritionist or or anything for him to at least stay on port. You know, stay on cold, and he wasn't able to do that. So, what else is next for him if he can't even try to make weight? Because the biggest fights that could be made for him right now for the next year or eighteen months are at one sixty eight, and if he can't get himself you know, discipline to to make weight, he's going to lose all of those opportunities. That's that's not a good look for him at all. Um, now, moving on uh, here to that uh, cold feature bout. This is, this is supposedly for an interim WBA lightweight title, Rolando Romero versus Jackson Marinez, uh, two guys that are undefeated. Uh, man, and oh, jeez, man. Um, I, I thought it was a, a funny type of fight watching it, man, because you had because uh, going into the fight, uh, you know, they had Rolando Romero saying that, oh man, I'm gonna come in there, 
I'm going to knock this guy out. I'm going to spark Jackson Mourinho's. And he was up there, and he was looking like throwing one person at a time. Matt, 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 And it seemed like he telegraphed every single one of his punches against Mourinho's. And Mourinho's, round after round, was executing beautifully with his jab, countering very well. Um, seeing, like I said, seeing pretty much every punch that Romero was throwing. And then the scorecards came down, unanimous decision win for Rolando Romero. I was like, what? And one of them was 118-110 for Romero. Ten rounds to two. I'm like, come on, man. Ain't no way, man. Like, yeah, that right there just had me like, look, I'm like, how in the world do you score this First of all, how do you score the fight for Romero? And second, how do you score 10 rounds for Romero? Like, ain't no way you could do that, you know? Um, what, 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 what were your thoughts on um, that particular bout? So it's two things. Um, politics as usual. Word to Jay-Z. Yep. But um, part of that, too, is on... What's the other guy's name? Um, Mourinho's. Mourinho's. Part of that is on him too, Jay, because he allowed them in him not cranking it up. Okay, I I know that he he his whole thing was making it look good and performing yeah. such that he like looked good and make what's make Ramiro look look bad or whatever, but. There were times when Romero was, you know, after throwing all them shots, was tired, and um, Mourinho didn't crank it up on him. Like, he should mm-hmm. have been setting the pace a lot more, especially round 9 through 12. Like, he won those rounds, right. but he should have been setting – like, after round 4 or 5 or 6 when – what's his name? When Romy wasn't – like, he was throwing the big shots, but they was like, far in between – and then uh, Mourinho's could see them and get out of the way, he did not do himself any favors because what's-his-name would throw furries at the end of the round or, or like, throw big shots. And even though, like, it, it was, like, when I saw it live, I just thought it was just, like, you know, like, quick, fast action. But then when they showed it slow motion, you would see Mourinho skip and then get on the inside and do a short punch and hit Romy. And then you'd be like, well, damn, that landed? And and so it's just a different point of view when you see slow motion and you see him slipping, getting under this big punch that, that the dude throwing with these big wide arms and then hitting him, boom, boom, hitting him with quick shots or whatever. And so had I not seen yeah. the slow motion, I would have never thought that he was landing them shots and doing what you he know, was doing. I would have never seen him. And so he left it open for the judges to take it away and give it to the, the um, you know, stable fighter, or at least Mayweather yeah. stable. But I, there's no way uh, Romero should have won that fight. Like, if anything, a tie. Get a man a tie and say they got to fight again. But the guy's limited, man. Like, he's very limited. Um, he does not jab. He's going to face someone who is, is not content with boxing him, they're going to be one of these black 
boxer brawlers like uh, Charlo or something like that. I'm just saying in, in that style, the, the black person style, where they are comfortable, uh, you know, um, like boxing, but then when it's time to throw them hands, they let their hands go, and they let them go with intentions, not off their back foot. And, and he's going to get hurt. He's going to be knocked out. He's going to be laid out. And, and, you know, the machine is behind him. He got a title now, right? Yeah, interim interim championship now. I mean, if I'm somebody who what, – what weight class were they fighting at? Lightweight. I think if somebody just wanted a quick come up and they needed, they needed just an interim title to get them the real fight they wanted, this is the guy you fight. This is the guy you fight. This is the guy you call out and get – get if he's ranked in whatever now, this is the guy you fight right here. You don't fight Gervonta Davis. You don't fight um, um, Tank Haney. You don't fight Devin Haney. You don't fight uh, – name all these people. You don't fight them. You fight this guy. Yeah. And you get you a, a win, an easier win. Yeah, I all mean, those guys would, would mur- probably murder this guy though. Shoot, if if he if this person was not fighting Lee Selby for the uh, mandatory in the IBF, George Cambosis would blast this guy. Like who that? Yeah, uh, George Cambosis Jr. Um, like he's like up and coming. Uh, you you also have Felix Verdejo there at lightweight. That's a contender. Like if he if they would have had some way to have Verdejo fight this guy, he would like Verdejo would beat beat, beat uh, Romero. Because to me, Romero looked like a, a, a even like a worse version of of Tank, where he would just throw power shots and that's it, and throw them one at a time. Power shots. One, two. One, two, one, one. Not no combos, nothing. Just one, two, one. And I'm like, come on, man. And let me tell you who he, he reminded me of. Uh, who? He reminded me of Slugfish, heavyweight Slugfish. What's his name? <laughs> uh, he reminded me of Slugfish. That's Joe Joyce. Did he not remind you <laughs> of Slugfish? <laughs> uh. A little bit, a little bit. But like you were saying, Mourinho didn't really take full advantage there um, in the latter rounds because around like the seventh or eighth round, there was a clash of heads where Romero ended up being cut, you know, above, you know, one of his eyes. And Mourinho just didn't, like you said, pick up the pace and have Romero in bigger trouble you know, with, with that eye, I would have just kept jabbing, kept jabbing, pow, 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 right in his eye, pow, kept going, pow, and and would have been, you know, more of a clear, you know, more of a clear win per, for those rounds for Mourinho's, and he didn't do that, but like I said, I still felt that Mourinho's uh, did win that fight. It was just that, you know, like you said, you have the fighter there in Romero that, you know, has the uh, backing behind him, so uh, when you have that type of backing behind you, you could not really have a good performance and still, you know, come out with the win there. So, um, you know, that's what they had with that one. Um, you also had Adewale didn't get a win uh, there in that particular uh, fight card against Travis Kaufman with Kaufman injuring the shoulder. Um, 
that after that he he pretty much called you know called it a career because um, it was a re-injury of his shoulder so uh, he's you know out of it with a final uh, record of 32 wins and four losses uh, there you know pretty good record but nothing uh, you know all too you know big had a no decision against uh, Chris Seriola and lost to you know Luis Ortiz Otto Wallen and Amir Mansour so. Uh, he he just built you know built up that record against a good number of guys that you know had losing records, um, but a couple of guys that you know had fairly good records. But there were out of Wallen, um, it's gonna be interesting to see where Wallen ends up uh, fighting next as a heavyweight. You know because he's you know they're under um, you know he's there uh, with the. Um, he's not like a, under a major, you know, promotional company there. He has, uh, you know, a guy, um, you know, there. Um, so he could, you know, basically bounce back and forth between, you know, some heavyweights there at top rank and those heavyweights there at PBC, you know. So um, he could, you know, have that type of option to fight any one of those guys. So he had that performance there against Tyson Fury, and now it seems like he wants to, you know, keep that momentum going uh, there. So I'd like to see, like, where he ends up as far as, like, what his next, uh, you know, what his next fight is going to be. You know, I, I'd, I'd be uh, interested to see, like, how he uh, gets, uh, you know, set up there, you know, while he's under Salida promotions. Did he always fight like that? Like, did he fight Tyson Fury, like, the amateur stylish, did he fight Tyson Fury like how he fought yesterday in that amateur style? Because what the man I saw did not have any power. Like, literally no shots. Was he, did he decide to sit on any of his shots? Like, he had opportunities where he could land shots clean, and it didn't look like he, he was like, okay, I get a free shot. Let me just throw it real hard. Let me just hit you and see where it goes. Like, he just was like, pop, 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 like, at the same voice that I did it, pop, 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 just. Didn't like he was, didn't like he had anything behind his shot? Uh, not really, Um, you know, not really in this one. I, I just thought he just wanted to, you know, go in and out with it. Um, You know, so. You know, he, he, he just uh, wanted to just get in a couple of things as far as, like, his, um, like, the rounds, you know, get some rounds in and work on his skills a little bit, you know. So he wanted to be a little bit more active with his hands and whatnot. So I didn't think that okay. he wanted to just, you know, go in there and, like, really, um, you know, hurt, uh, you know, hurt the, um, hurt Kaufman, but, you know, that's, Kind of like the thing here. He he just wanted to you know work in some rounds and and if he just you know got Kaufman in trouble, then he would kind of like turn up the you know turn up things. So so that's how that was. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I don't like. I think he'll give people trouble, but I just question. Um, like Tyson Fury is a good fighter, I believe, but. Um, <laughs> If he can't, if 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 um, Waleen can't keep people off him, and he throw like them light shots, 
He gonna be in trouble. How tall is he? Is he at least tall? Nah, he's about six three, six four. Oh yeah, he if he doesn't fight a Joseph Parker or a um, what's the guy who headlined the zone card? Black guy who Joshua went twelve rounds with. The zone, nah, um, twelve rounds with. Sure. Um, to come. was uh, that was on uh, ESPN and Top Rank. He he uh, you know, fought oh, and defeated Jerry Ford. Yeah. So if 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 what's his name doesn't fight a uh, to come, if he doesn't fight a Joseph Parker, if he doesn't fight uh, I I think Dylan White probably would beat him just because he couldn't keep Dylan White off him. If he could box and box around him for twelve rounds, he'll win. But I think at least Dylan White will will land some shots, like land some big shots on him, and that'll be his Achilles heel. Like if he can't keep these guys off of him, he's gonna be in trouble. At six three, yeah. maybe he should fight Michael uh, Michael Hunter. Michael that, Hunter. That, that's, maybe he should fight Michael Hunter. Yeah, that would be yeah that would be a good fight uh, there between those two. Um, you know, Michael Hunter there and Otto Wallen. Um, because you know, want to see like, because for Hunter, I thought like Hunter, you know, he he didn't get that necessary uh, opportunity to fight, you know, uh, him White, where I I just felt like uh, Hunter should have been able to do something to uh, defeat Alexander Povetkin, but it just you know ended up being a draw uh, there in that particular fight, and because of that, um. Now you have Alexander Pavekin there in a position to fight, you know, Dylan White, uh, where if Michael Hunter won, he would have been uh, the one there in that particular position. So I just feel like, you know, Hunter has to, you know, find himself um, uh, a good fight, particularly since he's not, you know, necessarily there with Matchroom anymore. So he won't have those opportunities against a Dylan White or Joseph Parker. So, Maybe try to see if he can get there around PBC um, and fight the likes of a uh, you know Otto Wallen or you know a uh, Charles Martin. Uh, you have Adam Kalnacki that's out there, but you know they're probably trying to see if he could you know have um, a rematch uh, there against Robert Hellenius. Um And there's like other guys that are you know out there available. Luis Ortiz is out there. Uh, not Andy Ruiz because they got Ruiz uh, fighting Chris Ariola. So there's like a good amount of fights that could be made for either one of those guys. It just has to see like which one will make the uh, you know proper sense for for both of those guys. Question for you, James. Yep. If he fought a Charles Martin, a who would you root for? B who do you think would win? A, Charles Martin, B, Charles Martin. Which guy you which guy which guy you talking about against Charles Martin? Um Because I see I see I was vague. Oh no, I'm saying I I, I thought you were gonna be talking about like uh Otto Wallen. Um against Michael Hunter. That would be an interesting fight though. Um Charles Martin versus Michael Hunter. My thing with uh, Martin is, you know, he has Mandy Robles there as a trainer, and, you know, we kind of like saw 
what he was able to do against Joe Washington. Um, but, you know, after that, I want to see uh, what Charles Martin does against, you know, um, high-ranked competition uh, there. I know that he's kind of like in that particular position where he could actually be the next in line for the IBF. Uh, as being a former IBF champion, he could be the next in line after Kubat Pulev. Um, so I would like to see Martin against uh, Michael Hunter. That would be that would be a good little matchup there. Um, <laughs> the, the 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 one that I would be most interested in is if Charles Martin fought Andy Ruiz. But I don't know if they're gonna make that fight uh, next year. I don't think that's gonna you know be in the cards next yeah, that year. Would be so. So. I think I would root for Charles Martin against Michael Hunter. I don't know who would win, but I like I would root for Charles Martin. Uh, that, just off the You would have, um, you know, you would have uh, Charles Martin there with Mandy Robles, um, and you have Michael Hunter there, um, you know, and he he. I mean, he's he was doing he was doing well. He. They talking about you know he was doing good against Andrew Ruiz and sparring and that type of stuff and you know whatnot. I was like, mm, that's okay, but you know Andrew Ruiz wasn't you know all too you know all too hot going into that rematch against Anthony Joshua. So um, you know you have you know Michael Hunter there and his trainers have seen Rotman. So we got to see like if there's going to be more development. Uh, for Michael Hunter with uh, Hasim Rotman as his uh, trainer uh, there for the time being. So uh, that's going to be something, man. Um, just seeing, uh, were you able to catch uh, part of the or any other fight for um, Breakloose McCaskill, or do you have any thoughts on that result? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't catch this fight. Oh, man. Come on. That's supposed she to be retired. one of the biggest fights in women's boxing. One of the biggest fights in women's boxing, and he didn't catch up like he. I didn't know that was a thought yesterday until it was too late. Oh wow! <laughs> That's my excuse. Well, hopefully, hopefully you know. Uh, well, even though it's the co- the co feature of White Pavekin, uh, you had that rematch between Taylor and Person uh, that Saturday, so it's going to be the co feature about to Dylan White. Uh, versus Alexander Pavekin, which that will be for the interim WBC uh, world title. Um, yeah, that's, you know, coming up next week. Uh, there should be another one that I'm looking ahead uh, to, and that's um, Elida Alvarez versus Joe Smith Jr. Uh, that's going to be next week as well. Um, so we're going to, like, action is picking up a little bit here. Uh, in boxing, you know, like I said, you had a pretty much a full weekend of boxing uh, here yesterday. So we're gonna, you know, kind of like move a little bit more into that uh, here next week with those uh, fights that are, you know, there, and um, we're gonna uh, see how things pick up. So um, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of, I'm looking forward to, you know, some of those bouts. Um, we had like you know other news and notes that happened uh, within the sport. Uh, of course, you had the whole back and forth there with Gary Russell Jr. and uh, Terrence Crawford. Uh, Terrence Crawford, uh, as of a couple of days ago, it seemed like they were having talks to 
make a fight between him and Kell Brook. But now it seems like that particular fight is kind of falling apart. So Terrence Crawford has a date. Supposedly he's having a date in November, but still doesn't have an opponent. Uh, that's, you know, that's not, you know, not looking good when, you know, people are talking about him eventually facing Errol Spence, um, where Errol Spence already has it locked down for him to fight Danny Garcia. So here you are, Terrence Crawford. He already knew that Errol Spence is fighting Danny Garcia. They were trying to see if they could pin Crawford to go up against the likes of uh, Sean Porter, but that fell through. Now you had this talks here about Kel Brook, and that seems to have fell through as well. And they had the whole thing about possibly fighting Keith Thurman, but Keith Thurman's like, okay, send the contract. Where's the contract? No contract. So now it's like, okay, who is Terrence Crawford going to end up fighting? And if they don't come up with somebody that's, you know, anything, you know, like a Thurman, like a Gar- Danny Garcia, um, you know, anyone of that particular level, because you ain't fighting Porter. Now Porter's fighting Sebastian Formella. So it's like, and remember, uh, like we had uh, we had Bomac here a couple weeks ago, and Bomac was saying, hey, they got this thing set up for November, but now it's like you're not fighting any of those welterweights, and they're trying to look for, uh, still trying to look for that fight against Manny Pacquiao. I don't see that happening, at least not this year. So what else is he going to do, fight Patrick Teixeira for the WBO 154-pound title? I don't know, man. It, it's they got to do something, man. They got to do something. I don't know what's up. What do you think? I think that um, Omeg loved his fighter, and I respect him. Terrence Crawford got to show us, like winning, beating um, in Dungo to become undisputed at 140. That's good, but. Danny Garcia had a better run, wasn't undisputed, but he beat better names when he fought in 140. Mm-hmm. Terrence Crawford's reign at 140 was not better than Danny Garcia. Does Terrence Crawford beat Danny Garcia? Yes. At least I think so. Um, Terrence Crawford, man, got to do something because how long are you going to go on the accolades of what you did at 140, which was impressive, but it compared to Danny Garcia, it really wasn't that impressive. Not trying to be fun. Compared to even Timothy Bradley, it wasn't even that impressive. Timothy Bradley got mm-hmm. better wins at 140 than does Terrence Crawford. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just saying, like, how long can we go off his accolades at 140, which, again, wasn't that impressive against the guys he fought? The titles are great. It's like Agent Broner again. Agent Broner got all these titles. First one to get four titles at age 22 or 23. Okay, you fought Gavin Reese or whatever his name. Gavin Reese, I, I was yeah. at that fight at Atlantic Station. But, like, really, these fights you fought to, to be the first one or whatever, like, they were – interim belt, they were this, they were that. Like, who did you really fight, though? 
the quality of the win, not the quantity. Terrence Crawford, mm-hmm. where are your quality wins at? That's all I'm asking for. I think you're a brilliant fighter. I think you can beat 90% of the guys put in front of you. Where are the quality at, man? That's what I'm asking as a concerned fan. I love watching you fight. I love watching you break people down. I was happy when you finally beating up on Mean Machine after he was hitting you with clean shots and you started, like, taking the fight over and showing him that it was a different level. I was happy that you started doing that. Where are the quality wins, though? Show me a quality win. So what have you done for us lately? I'm Maybe I'm the fan who you tell to kiss your ass, but what have you done for us lately to remind us why you still that dude? It's a lot of other people who got the claim for that dude at once, uh, 147. And you, and you hadn't done a lot, man. I'm just asking for more. Give us a little bit more. Give us more. Be, be the a, um, what's the guy named who's, who, who competes with all these guys at PBC, that level of fighter? Beat that guy. I forgot his name. Um, fought with Sean Porter. Ugas? And he, who? You're Dennis Ugas? Ugas. Be the Ugas. Beat somebody like that. Beat somebody like that. Beat a damn um, Colazzo. Beat a Colazzo. You will beat Colazzo. But give us something. Give us more than just. Maybe Mean Machine comes and beat other people and we understand how good he really is. But come on, man. It's. It's hard to tell what you really do because the quality of the fighters are not that good. It's hard to say that you are still that guy at 147 or you are that guy because you fight lower quality fighters. Give us a better quality fighter so we can be like, yep, Terrence Crawford going to do whatever to Errol Spence or he'll compete with him or something. I'm just, I'm tired of, I'm tired of people talking and saying what, what would happen or what he is based off of par accolades. I know, um, before accident, Errol Spence probably was the number one guy. I know that Keith Thurman, pre-Manny Pacquiao, was close to the claim of being the number one guy. I know Manny Pacquiao beating Keith Thurman makes Manny Pacquiao in the conversation for the number one guy. Where Terrence Crawford in, the, in that conversation? He's just in it just off, just because he was good at 140. That's, is that the reason why he in it? Because what has he done at 147? Please tell me, James. Please tell me and tell me I'm overlooking what he did at 147. Tell me what has he done at 147 so I can be reminded. Uh, you're, not, you're, not you're not overlooking anything at 147. Um, and you go into, you know, the thing here with 140. And, he, you know, he wins. He wins, you know, the first super lightweight title against Thomas Delorman. And... Then he has, you know, a couple fights against, you know, Jerry John and Hank Lundy. Then he beats uh, Victor Postal for the first unification. And then he goes up against, you know, the uh, the John Molina Juniors, the Felix Diaz's, and then he has the fight against Julius Ndongo. But, you know, like you said, I mean, fighting Ndongo, like, is that really impressive? Do we know, like, where Ndongo is, you know, at this particular point? Of his career, I mean, he already, you know, he lost the Regis Progress uh, after losing, you know, getting knocked out by Terrence Crawford. So it's like we don't even know where, you know, uh, Julius Ndongo is at this particular point of his career uh, there at super lightweight. Then 
when you go up to welterweight, and this is uh, you know, part of a conversation that I had with somebody else, I was like, okay, you're the undisputed lightweight champion. Okay, you know that you have these potential fights that you could have against the likes of a, you know, a Sean Porter or a Danny Garcia or a, you know, Errol Spence, right? So you're the undisputed champ. You could have had the option to fight uh, Carlos Ocampo for the IBF mandatory when Errol Spence was the IBF champ at the time. You didn't do it. You could have went up, moved up, and you could have fought Danny Garcia or Sean Porter for, at the time, the vacant WBC title. You didn't do that. You went ahead and you fought Jeff Horn for the WBO title because at the time you knew that you would be able to get that win against Jeff Horn. So you talk, you're talking about this whole thing about, oh, he needs to get a belt and things like that. Well, even with him getting a belt, who else has he fought, like you said, that says, oh, he's really done his thing here at welterweight? Like fighting Jose Benavidez, that's not going to cut it. Fighting an American, that's not going to cut it. Fighting Kavalioskis, when Kavalioskis had a draw with Ray Robinson in a fight before that, that's not going to cut it. Not quite, no. So he has to have that type of a fight that says, oh, okay, he's there. He is, you know, they're willing to compete against the top guys there in the welterweight division because all of these other guys that are out there, I'm like, you 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 need someone like a like I said like a Sean Porter right because you have here here's the rankings that they have right now in the WBO under Terence Crawford, Danny Garcia, Virgil Ortiz Jr., Mikey Garcia, and Sean Porter. You mean to tell me that you couldn't get a fight with Sean Porter? That's a top five contender. You couldn't get the guys to have him fight Danny Garcia or send another offer to Danny Garcia before he was booked to fight Errol Spence Jr.? Come on. And they're not going to have the fight between him and Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia wants the Manny Pacquiao fight. And Manny Pacquiao probably feels like, you know what? I think that a Mikey Garcia fight seems more winnable for me than a fight against Terrence Crawford. So you may end up seeing Manny Pacquiao versus Mikey Garcia if Manny Pacquiao fights this year. That's going to be the fight that he's going to have. So with all of those options out the window, where else can Terrence Crawford go? Your Dennis Ugas is pretty much the, 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 the best option that's out there right now. And as uh, far as I know, it looks like they're, you know, almost lining up your Dennis Ugas to fight somebody else. So if he's out the window, then you have Ray Robinson, who we who we should have fought, and Ray Robinson beat him in the amateurs. So you could at least have that particular option. But here's the thing. They're positioning uh, Crawford to fight on ESPN Plus pay-per-view. You're going to have a pay-per-view fight against someone like a, a Ray Robinson? Is that going to be lucrative enough for you? I don't know. So he's going to have some issues there, man, as far as, like, getting a, getting a good enough fight that 
uh, fight fans will be able to, you know, be, uh, you know, be good with. So that's, I mean, that's how I feel about it. But what I just heard you say was Terrence Crawford's best man at 147, which I'm, I'm thinking this is 147, is Amir Khan. Amir Khan, who's one of his last fights was um, – What's the guy who got knocked out by Manny Pacquiao? Um, nutritionist. Um, nutritionist. Oh, who got knocked out by Manny Pacquiao? Uh, Chris Algieri. Uh, who probably fight with Chris Algieri, which he went down to the to the wire, didn't it? If I recall correct, that's how long it's been. That's how long it's been since the, probably one of his last relevant fights. Chris Algeria. I could be wrong now, but I'm just saying Amir Khan mm-hmm. is not very relevant in today's boxing time. The only reason mm-hmm. why Manny Pacquiao is relevant is because he beat Keith Thurman. We can speak Manny Pacquiao's name because he, from what I saw on some, you know, marketing thing, him and Floyd Mayweather still got the highest pay-per-view, you know, box office, whatever. They they made the most money. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Right, Manny Pacquiao's name could be spoken now because he beat Keith Thurman last year, or whatever year it was. This year, last year, he beat Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman is a relevant name. He literally beat Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman was coming yep. on. Had it been a 15-round fight, Keith Thurman probably would have won. Had he not hit Keith Thurman in the body and hurt him, oh, I mean, not well, the body later in the fight, but not knocked him down in the first round, and hit, he saved his fight win by hitting Keith Thurman in the body in round seven, eight, nine, <clears throat> Manny Pacquiao mm-hmm. nevertheless won that fight. So you cannot take anything away from Manny Pacquiao, which is why he's still relevant. Yeah, uh, Amir Khan ain't relevant. He is not relevant. His last two fights have been knockouts. Like him, him and Kell Brooks should go ahead and fight each other because I don't want to see either of these guys take any more punishment. Especially Kell Brook, but from what I'm seeing, you know, at least the chatter, Terrence Crawford thinking about fighting Kell Brook. Damn it, yes. goods. Right. Of course, you want to fight him, and that win is not the same as when um, Errol Spence fought him. It's not the same as when Gennady Lovkin fought him. It's not the same as when Sean Porter fought him. It is not the same. He is a different fighter, like. I just need to see more from Terrence Crawford. As a fan of his, I want to see him fight somebody that has a potential chance of plausibly beating him. Not, I don't, I don't want to see him lose because I want him to win. But right. at least make me think he's going to lose. Do me like uh, Floyd Mayweather did all these casual fans when they fought, when he fought Conor McGregor too fool all these people like Conor McGregor actually had a chance. At least do me like that. At least dupe me and make me feel that there's a chance with the guy, with one of these guys that you fight. Feel like it's a competitive fight. That's all I'm asking for. It ain't what I see, but what I think I see. Make me think that you are in a fight that the other person has a plausible chance of winning. That's all. Yep. That's the thing. And and that's why, you know, why we have, you know, we'll potentially match him up against an Ugas you know, right now, like fighting a guy like Kel Brook just has no, there's no incentive in fighting Kel Brook. I don't care if there's fans or not, there's no incentive for him fighting Kel Brook. You know, um, 
like Kel Brook is nowhere near, you know, a, a fighter that's within the top fifteen to twenty uh, right now uh, in, in 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 the welterweight division. You know, you could fight someone like a, you know, like a, a, a Ugas who's there within the top ten, or you know, someone like a well, nah, they won't do anything with him against Olympic yes, but. You know, at least at least Ugas is a top ten guy. You know, um, I would you know rather have him fighting somebody like that than you know uh, uh, Kell Brook, like you said, who's way past it, or you know having somebody else that you know really doesn't belong in the same ring uh, with the Terrence Crawford. You know, um, but <laughs> it's like uh, someone else said, like he may end up fighting someone like a like a, a Chris Van Heerden. Um, because <laughs> that's like the only other guys that are there that's kind of like within that top ten or fifteen. Like if you take out all the you know the names that we were talking about, you only have like a Chris Van Heerden, a Sergey Lipinets, uh, a David Avangian, or Omar Figueroa Jr. Uh, there uh, before you get back to a Kavalyowski. So like there really isn't. Like, there isn't that much options that are out there, but still, there's still, you know, guys that, you know, he could clearly fight that would be like, hey, okay, this is an impressive, you know, opponent for him to fight at welterweight. So why not go ahead and send that offer to your Nedis Ugas and say, hey, we want to make this fight? Because what it looks like to me is like uh, Crawford is, fairly content with fighting guys that really don't have much of a shot against them until he eventually gets that fight against uh, Errol Spence Jr. Or he's waiting for the winner of um, Jose Ramirez versus, um, you know, uh, uh, Josh Taylor. So whoever is the next undisputed super lightweight champion, they would move up and then they would fight Terrence Crawford. But what's the point of that? Because he he will be fighting somebody that's moving up in weight, you know. So I I don't know, man. It's, it's like he he's kind of like content in uh, what he wants to do here at this particular point of his career, and that's that's not necessarily a good look right there, man. Um, that pretty much is uh, you know what I wanted to cover here in this uh, particular portion of uh, this podcast. Um, we'll be back here within a couple of hours. Um, scheduled to be on uh, at 11 p.m. Eastern time is Free Ray Rick Ross. So we're going to have Free Ray Rick Ross back with us on uh, this podcast here. Uh, we're going to be uh, there for, I think it's 11 p.m. Uh, Eastern time to about 12 a.m. Eastern time uh, here with Free Ray Rick Ross. Uh, that is uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time starting, uh, not 8 p.m. Eastern, but 8 p.m. Pacific time starting. Uh, tonight. So uh, we will be right back at it uh, here later on. Uh, so be sure to uh, catch us here at about 11 p.m. Uh, thanks for uh, Mike for calling in here. Thanks for Jamil for calling in earlier uh, for their uh, take on uh, what uh, happened with the boxing action. Uh, but we will get back with you. And like I say at the end of every show, folks, point of boxing is a hit and not a hit. Not the standing trade. On that note, I'm out for now. Have a good evening. <laughs>